Our world is always so rush-rush. We can never get any personal time to ourselves, let alone those that we love. Welcome to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. Our mission, to reintroduce kindness and compassion to our busy lives. Remember when life was so much simpler? Gabriella and her guests today will pick up the ball of human kindness and by doing so, empower you to make changes in your own life. And now, here is Gabriella Von Ray. Hi everyone and thanks for listening to my radio. We have another interesting show coming up on conceiving the hard way in vitro. And our guest today is Terry Vanya. Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gabriella. So tell us a little bit about your background before we're going to start straight in the subject. Um, Okay. Well, I have been um, married to a woman for the last 13 years. Um, I'm a nurse, um, which helped in this whole experience through the in vitro process. Um, We have been trying to conceive for... Just it'll be two years in August that we've been trying. Okay. Does that mean that you've been trying uh, in vitro for two years? Um, we have done um, ten IUIs, which are intrauterine inseminations, which are done in the doctor's office, um, and we did one at home, and then we have had one in vitro cycle. Tell me a little bit, just for the listener. Not everyone knows what in vitro really means. Um, in vitro is um, in vitro fertilization, so it is done. Um, it's a process that is done mostly in the lab. Um, eggs are taken from the woman and are fertilized in the lab, and then transplanted back into the uterus, hoping that they'll implant and become a baby. Okay, and these um, come from a sperm donor bank. Um, we used a sperm donor. Um, some, you know. Some couples have, you know, if they have issues like with the egg or with the sperm in a straight couple, they can um, actually use the female's eggs and the male's sperm and still have issues that they need to have done in the lab. Um, we personally, yes, used a, used a donor, an anonymous donor. An anonymous donor. So yeah. tell us a little bit about, see, when I think of in vitro, and I would be a listener, one of the first thing that I remember other friends of mine talking about is the emotional roller coaster and what it does to your body. Well, I mean, I think any any person, any couple that's trying to conceive, I think that, you know, there's a lot of emotion involved in that when it doesn't happen as easily as it does on television. Um, but the thing with um, anytime you're doing any kind of what they call infertility treatment, there's usually fertility drugs involved, which as I've had people describe to me it's like pregnancy hormones times 100. So not only are you emotional from the emotions involved in just trying to conceive and not being successful, but then you add all these hormones on top of it, which makes you kind of a raving lunatic for lack of a better description. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a normal woman going through hormones yeah. like this. <laughs> yeah. It, it's intense. Um, I know when we first started... Um, they, I, I saw, I was seeing a regular OBGYN, and we were then referred to a uh, reproductive endocrinologist. Um, so when we saw our OBGYN, he put me on um, Clomid, which is a, a fertility drug, and it, it causes a woman, it forces a woman to ovulate. And I wasn't ovulating, apparently. Okay. So, um, and obvious, and, you know, I'm a nurse. I have this background. I didn't know. I thought, well, I get my periods regularly and everything's fine. Of course I'm ovulating. But... 
you can be completely normal on a schedule and still not be ovulating. Yeah, true. So they, they started me on Clomid, um, and I said one day to, to my wife, I said, I, I wish I could describe the feelings I have with this drug. I said, I can't even explain to you how angry I am. Like, our neighbor's car alarm went off, and I just I just wanted to take a bat to their car. It was such, like, you're so out of your head with, I mean, just PMS times a million. <laughs> it's hard, I mean, it's hard to explain, you know, and I felt really bad for my wife because she'd say something that was totally normal, and I would just come off, you know, go off the handle, and it, that's not like me. But, Is that because the drugs are too heavy, Terry? Um, I don't think it's too heavy. Everybody I've talked to has had that experience. It's just a okay. huge hormone boost, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, I mean, you know how PMS is, and I love women have bad PMS. That's it's, that's what it's like. It's like the worst PMS you've ever had in your life. And okay. crying at the drop of a hat and, you know, flying off the handle about things that don't matter, and it just and then throw in hot flashes and things like that. So, wow, amazing. Not a real pleasant experience. No, I can imagine. But there's a price tag attached to this. And I always have wondered, and it's a question that I've never been able to ask someone who's going through it. Do do they kind of take advantage of the pricing? Is it really different from place to place? And Well, I, I don't know. I, I guess my thinking is it's, you know, I come from a medical background, and it's a very specialized field, and I think that they're, you know, people that really want to have a child will pay whatever it takes to have a child. Um, unfortunately, a lot of insurance companies don't cover any infertility treatment, um, okay. which is frustrating, um, especially when you see insurance companies that won't cover any infertility treatment, but they do cover, you know, Viagra. Um, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> An interesting one, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so when we were doing our IUIs, um, the interuterine inseminations, they're done in the doctor's office. So probably average cost. Um, the donor sperm costs anywhere from like seven to $900 for a very tiny vial. Um, and then there's shipping because we, you know, there's not really any place local. Um, we use a sperm bank um, in California. Um, so they have to ship it by FedEx overnight. So it's uh, about... to $300, depending on, you know, if it's a weekend or how they have to ship it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then doctor's office, ultrasound, blood work, you know, ultrasound is $300. A doctor's visit is about $300. Um, Any blood work you pay out of pocket. So that's just for doing IUIs. Uh, Plus the medications, which aren't covered by insurance because they're considered infertility medications. And so then... Yeah, okay, go ahead. So the cost of an IVF, cycle for us, um, and we went through a local university with a great program. Um, we had, we had, they kind of talked to you beforehand, like, here's what it's going to cost. Everything has to be paid up front. Um, so I wrote them a check for $13,500, which almost made me throw up. Um, and that's <laughs> just for the, that's just for the IVF um, cycle itself. And they kind of do an estimate, so if it's more, they have to do something else, and they'll send you a bill later. Um, Medication-wise, we spent, um, for IVF treatment for medications, we spent about $4,000. After talking to you yesterday, I was kind of looking at the meds and just kind of seeing I have all the receipts here. And 
one of the meds um, for 300 units was $273. The 600-unit version was $650 a unit. Um, wow. I was taking, of those medications, I was taking like 225 units a day. So I spent, you know, 1700 just on those medications. And that's just one med. But, Terry, back up for a second. For the listener that might be as ignorant as I am on this subject, the IVS cycle, what what does it entail? Okay, so my IVS cycle started with, they start with um, birth control pills, and I did, like, three weeks of birth control pills because first they want to suppress, um, basically suppress the, the, the eggs and suppress everything happening. Okay. Um, so you, t- I think I did three weeks of those, 20 days or something like that. Mm-hmm. So when we stopped those, then they started doing um, uh, luprolide, which is it's to stimulate the follicles, to stimulate the eggs and make them grow faster. Okay. So we did that twice a day. That's, a, that's an injection that we were doing at home. So I did that twice a day, and then they would do blood work every every day, every other day, and they, they're checking for an estradiol level, and they want that to be at a certain number, and they adjust the meds based on what that number is. So started with the Luprolide, then after two or three days, I think it was, and they had the first level check, then they started me on two other injectable meds, uh, Folistem and Menopure. Um, so at this point, I'm doing four injections a day, one in the morning and three at night, um, and that goes on until, so they're doing regular blood check, blood level estradiol checks. They're doing, um, ultrasounds. They want the follicles to be a certain size. And I think that every, every doctor, every <laughs> clinic is different. They wanted, um, 17 millimeters was the size they wanted. So once they get to that, that point, you then take a, um, HCG shot, which is, uh, which triggers ovulation. And so then they schedule, it's like exact down to the minute, so you take the shot, and then 30, I think it's 36 hours later, they do the egg retrieval. So you go into the hospital, and they do it under conscious sedation, so they knock you out, and they, I won't describe this because it was painful to describe it <laughs> when they described it to me, but they basically knock you out, and they go in and suck all the eggs out. Wow. So when they did our retrieval, we had, they took 17 eggs. Um, so now you're taking all these medications, and your ovaries are about three times the size they should be. And you've got a whole bunch of extra eggs that you don't normally have. So it's not a pleasant feeling. Um, mm-hmm. They put you on a 10-pound weight restriction at this point because you can't. they don't want you to lift anything and risk rupturing an ovary or twisting an ovary or anything like that. So they, when they take the eggs, we had 17 eggs. Um, 12 were mature. They fertilized all 12, and only four of ours took. So then they go to a point where they they fertilize these eggs in the lab, and they watch them grow. And um, the big thing you'll hear when you talk to people who have IVF is, did you have a three-day or a five-day transfer? And there's a lot of of controversy about which is better. Um, They grow the eggs in the lab, and at three days, at two days, they check and see where they're at. And they, then they let you know, you know, we think you're only going to get to three days. These eggs aren't going to make it longer than three days in the lab. Or we're going to wait till five days. So three days, the eggs are, 
they still have some processes to go through before they implant. At five days, the eggs are in a blastocyst stage, so all they have to do is implant. Um, I have been reading some labs now are doing six-day transfers. Some day, some are only doing three days. I mean, it's you know, it, it depends lab to lab what that doctor and what that clinic has come up with their best practice. Hmm. And then after you, we did a three-day transfer of two eggs, and then you wait. You wait two weeks and see if you're pregnant. Okay. And you're full of hormones. And then after, you know, you do the uh, the retrieval and the transfer, you're taking, I was doing um, injections of progesterone oil. Um okay. And wearing estrogen patches. So you can imagine what my hormones were like at this point. Crazy. Yeah, a little bit. But tell me, I know you're a nurse, but how can the average person give themselves all these injections? I Is have no idea. I, You know, I said that through the process. I, I don't know how someone without a medical background does this. Do they get assisted? What what if you really can't do this? Can, can you go to a hospital or a woman's clinic and have them help you? Probably, but like I said, you're doing this, you know, you're doing this twice a day. Um, you know, once in the morning and once at night, 12 hours apart. I don't know if it's feasible for somebody to, you know, go to a clinic twice okay. a day to have them. And then, you know, you have to figure that cost in as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I can imagine that if you go to a clinic where you get the help to put that in, you also get a little bit of mental support in doing all this. Right. If you're all well, alone at home, you're you're not only struggling with the injections and feeling like you want to go up the walls, but you don't right. have a sounding board either because most people have right. to work. Yeah. I, um, it, you make it sound like an in vitro woman you should never go to work. <laughs> I didn't leave the house much, I gotta tell you. I don't think anybody wanted to be around me. I can totally understand that. Hold your thought because we're going to go into a commercial break. But before we do, I would like the listeners to know that we are live with Terry, who has, first of all, who's gone through it, who's going through it personally, and who uh, is open to answer any of your questions. You can call the toll-free number 888-346-9141. And we'll be right back, Terry. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even co-worker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite twice every week, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 
10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety and on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone. And if you're just tuning in right now, we are talking with Terry Vonya. Um, conceiving the hard way in vitro, and she was telling us all about how this was an emotional roller coaster. Terry, I have a question for you. Okay. Um, being gay and having to go through this, are you treated any differently than if this was a normal couple going through the in vitro process? Um, I would say for the most part, we haven't had an issue. We have had a couple... Um, we had a nurse practitioner that was really terrible and horrible to us, um, uh, but I took care of that rather quickly. Uh, we had another nurse that was kind of nasty, and I thought at first it was just me, and then I talked to another couple who dealt with this nurse, and it, they, she was the same to them. So, you know, I've not had anything... I've not had anyone be like, overtly, how dare you be gay and bring a child into this world. I have had people say, you know, don't you think it'll be hard having gay parents? You know, don't you think, um, you know, it's going to be difficult being gay parents? How will you explain that? And, I'm, you know, that kind of stuff, I guess, doesn't bother me. I've been out for a very long time, so I don't even think about it. And I don't think it'd be any harder to have gay parents than it would be to have straight parents. Um, having parents is hard, period. Yeah, having parents is difficult, just in general. Um, so... Other than a couple isolated incidents, I will say that, um, you know, probably people who work in this business have to deal with gay couples more than, you know, most other other fields of medication or of medicine just because, you know, it's, it's, it's going to affect more gay couples than it does, you know, pretty much anything else. But um, would, you, would you also say it's because you live in Iowa where, where gay couples are totally accepted? They're totally accepted, but, um, you know, in Iowa, gay marriage is legal, um, which does change a lot of things for us in terms of, you know, um, it, it's kind of a difficult situation because we are legally married, but we would still, when we have a child, my wife would still have to have a second parent adoption to adopt my child, which seems very strange to me. Um For the most part, I you know, it wasn't bad. We have had people, and the, the strange thing is, the people that have said things that I think were the most ignorant and hurtful were gay people, <laughs> you know, and I think there's like a a part of the gay community that can't imagine having children, that that would never cross their mind, and so they've said things that I I was really surprised by. Um, That's you know surprising me to me. You know so- that, I would say, you know me personally, you know that not much bothers me. Um, uh-huh. I don't have a problem saying something to somebody if I think it's out of line. 
Um, you, did, you did talk to me that you felt chastised by just wanting a child and having to go through this process, right? Yeah, we've had, we've had people say, you know, why would you spend all this money? Don't you enjoy your freedom? Don't you, you know, things like, why would you even want to have a child? Um, These are people you know, that have children, I'm sure. Right, right. <laughs> well, and I think that there's, you know, I know you have a child, and I think that there's some people have, that desire to have a child. You can't explain it. You just, you know, I've always wanted to have children. Um, people who don't have it don't understand it. And so I think that's where that comes from. I don't know if it comes from a gay thing as much as it comes from people just who could never imagine having children don't understand that desire to have children. You know, and, and it will change our lives. And we've had a lot of, it's going to change your life. You're not going to be able to do anything. Um, I had one person tell me that um, if you guys have a baby, you're going to lose all your friends. Nobody wants to hang out with somebody with baby. Uh, oh, you know, so things like that, you know, from, from grown-ups, which is really shocking to me. <laughs> but oh. we'll, we'll still be your friend. I can tell you how much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate babies. it. But yeah. back to you wanting to do this, is does it have anything to do with your personal background, too? Um, that you, you want to go through this bit. process? Because um, you know it's heavy. I already know that right. you know it's heavy. Right. And I was adopted, um, in not an ideal situation. Um, so I have some personal issues with adoption. I do, I'm not, at any point am I saying adoption is a bad thing. I think adoption can be a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. I personally have some issues with it. Nothing okay. I so there was no that. other option for you to conceive than saying, okay, this is the process I'm going to go through. Well, and, and adoption at some point may be, you know, that's kind of our last resort. You know, the nice thing about being in a gay couple is, you know, there's two uteruses. So um, my wife is four years younger than me. I'm 38 years old. I don't have that much more time to be trying to get pregnant. I don't want to be 40 having a baby. Um, you know, if I can't conceive, my wife will try to conceive. If she can't conceive, we'll, you know, we'll adopt. I mean, it's not that we didn't want to adopt. It just wasn't our first choice. Okay. So you've been trying for two years, is that correct? Uh, almost two years, yep. Almost two years. So for you, for yourself, for, for your state of mind and for your body, how long w would you say it's enough? Um, I no, I don't know. Point. My wife and I have had that same conversation. I okay. don't know. Um, I don't think that I'm ready to say, that's it, I can't have a baby. Um Financially, I don't know how much further we want to go. You know, it's very expensive. Um, do we want to deplete our savings? Do we want to spend all that money? Um, so, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I, I wish I did know the answer to that. I know that, um, you know, people will say, just relax. You know, you, you, it's on your mind. It's all I think about. Um, everything but how you can do, you relax yeah. with everything yeah. you just told me? It's, it right. seems impossible to me when I listen to you. Yeah, it's very hard to, you know, to not think about it and to think, oh, well, you know, it'll just happen when it happens. And, um, you know, and then you see people get pregnant that, you know, don't, are like, oh, I'm pregnant. You know, um, it's just, it's frustrating. It's one thing we've said, you know, which isn't very nice to say, but we've learned over the last year um, that poverty and stupidity seem to be the two most powerful fertility drugs known to man. Um because it's just like you see people who, well, and it's true. I mean, you see people who can't who can't Explain afford a baby. A and, bit. Would you for the listener? What's that? Repeat it. 
explain that a little bit for oh. the listener. Well, I just think, you know, you see people who get pregnant very easily and have no desire to have a baby or people sure. who treat their baby badly or, you know, you see people in the store and they're so mean to their kids. And I'm thinking, why are these people getting babies? And then you hear those people who say, well, it's God's will. And I want to say, really, God doesn't want us to have a child, but he wants, you know, children to be killed in elementary school because that to me doesn't make sense. Um, I think that, you know, my wife and I are, we're both educated, we own a home, we've, you know, been together for a long time, we are financially able to take care of a child. I can't imagine that God would say, no, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> I mean, it just makes no sense to me. No. But, you know, when we talked before the show, I, I said to you, too, you know, I mean, first of all, life is unfair. I think we all know that, but... Uh, it, you don't need a diploma to become a parent, unfortunately. Right. And you're more talking about that, right? That that you see right. horrendous behavior from adults towards children, which I see too, and all of us see it, unfortunately. But they are the parents. There's not much we can do about it. Right, right, right. But I agree with you that if you passionately want a baby and go after this kind of treatment, you will see parenting quite different, I think, for the rest of your life than someone that just became pregnant because uh, it was an accident or a flu. Right. Who's 16 and can't take care of a baby. And, you know, I mean, yeah. I, you know, it, it's very, like I said, I've never in my life until we started trying to get pregnant seen so many pregnant women and so many babies. I mean, I was at Target the other day, and I think every time I came around the corner, there was another woman with a baby. And I'm like, really? <laughs> What is this? But that's normal because you're living in 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 that space at the moment. I never right. see babies. Yeah. But that's also because I'm not looking for it. Go out with me. That's all you'll see is babies. <laughs> yeah, because you got baby on the mind. I know. I know. So, yeah, I mean, it's I like these pregnant women that. and babies are attracted to me. I must have to see them. But you said something really interesting just a while back is that for a gay couple, you have the option I mean, you, you said it bluntly to have, and I'll say it bluntly back, that you have two uteruses. And to tell right. you the truth, that's something I never thought of until you just said it. Well, I will tell you, I will, I will say my very bad joke that I always say to my wife, that it's uterus, not uter you. So we have the, <laughs> I know, it's terrible. We it's have that, you know, we have that option. Um, not every lesbian couple has that option. You know, I know people who, one of them has had a hysterectomy or, you know, one of them is unable to conceive, you know, so it's not always an option. But for us, it is an option. Um, but like I said, my wife is four years younger than me and certainly has more time to conceive than than I do. Okay. Well, stay put, Terry. We're going to go into commercial break. And for everyone who would like to ask Terry a question, please call 888-346-9141. Stay tuned. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Each week, Jimmy Gold brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. 
A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Are you a business innovator, or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A. V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Might Radio show. And we're talking about conceiving the hard way in vitro with our guest, Terry Vanya. Terry, you talked about a sperm donor bank, right? And just like we talk openly about adoptions closed and open, I presume that exists with sperm donor banks too? Yes. Um, there, We actually chose a donor who is an open donor that would be willing to have contact um, when the child is 18. I know the, the bank that we use, um, it's uh, California, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, it's a bank in California. They... Um, they have the option that if you have chose a donor who was a closed donor that you can call the bank and they will make contact with the donor and see if they've changed their mind or if that's something that they would, you know, be up to. Um, personally, we chose an open donor because, like I said, I was adopted. Um, it was very important to me to know who my biological family was, um, so I would want that option to be there for our child if that was something that was important to them. And I'm going to ask you a really strange question, but how do you choose a sperm donor? Because I have no idea. Well, we had some specific things that we wanted. Um, I wanted someone tall and who was good at math because I am neither of those things. Um, (laughs) We kind of wanted somebody who resembles my my wife. Um, Like I told you, my wife has blonde hair and blue eyes, and her family is Czechoslovakian, and she is the only blonde-haired, blue-eyed Czech in the entire world, I, I swear. Um, so, but we wanted somebody with her physical characteristics, uh, as much as we could. Um, we wanted somebody who was smart. We wanted somebody, you know, who had gone to college and had a degree or an advanced degree. Um, those kind of things were important to us. 
But explain to the listener, do you sit there and are there just files and files on these donors and their background? Is is that what there, you can... You can search by, you know, a specific request, um, and so it'll bring up donors, or you can just go through the entire donor file. There are hundreds and maybe thousands of donors you can go through. Um, yeah, and just pick, you know, what you need. Um, each donor has, you know, a donor background that includes, like, where, you know, how far along they are in college, um, their interests, it includes a health history, it includes a staff, like a staff summary of how they viewed the donor, um, things like that. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's yeah, quite extensive. There's a lot of information. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Have you ever thought about having a direct sperm donor of a human being that you actually know in your um, lives? We have had an offer for that. Um, you know, it becomes an issue then if it's someone who's close to us. You know, how are they going to feel about not having any legal rights to their child? How are they going to feel about not being able to parent their child? Um, you know, how do we introduce that child to that person? You know, we've thought about it. Um, it's not where we're at right now, but it, it, it is an option for us. Okay. Because it's... It's kind of, well, I, I presume donating sperm is easier than donating an organ. And I, yeah, it, it seems to so. be a choice sometimes, as long as they understand that legally they're not, right. you know, that right. they can't come in the hassle. And, you, and I think so. that the legal part is great. Legally, you can put that on paper and that's easy, but I think the emotional part is the part that, you know, that's won't hard. come up until after there's a baby and that becomes an issue. I, um, I agree with you. I can imagine that, though. Yeah, the donor or the bank that we use is is fantastic. Um, they um, screen their donors. Very few. I can't remember the percentage, but it's a very low percentage of people who actually get through. Um, you know, they require strict health backgrounds and things like that. Um, so anything that you know, anything that they find in their health background that will make them ineligible, they don't they don't get into the program. Okay. Um, you get a lot of people, you know, a lot of the men who are doing this are students trying to make extra money, um, things like that. But they, and, they do they do have very strict guidelines. Okay. So this wow. says, I just looked it up, less than 1% of applicants qualify as, it's the California Cryobank. So and do they get paid for that? Or is it yeah, all free? Get, no, they do get paid for that. Can you tell me how much they get paid? I'm just I curious. I don't know for sure. I don't think it's a lot. I mean, I think it's like, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars. But it's not it's not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, okay. And then when we talked earlier um, to kind of talk about this subject and so that I learned a little bit more, you talked about that you have different types of sperm that cannot basically uh fertilize the egg, right? Right. One of the one of the what does that mean? They, uh one of the tools they used for us is called ICSI. It is um intracytoplasmic sperm injection. So what they do, um in some instances instances they put you know just put the sperm in the egg in a in a petri dish and let them do their thing. Um yep. sometimes with, with donor sperm it's frozen so it's kind of groggy when they wake it up. Um, some men have low sperm count, so this also happens with straight couples sometimes. So when they do um, the fertilization of the egg, they, they put the sperm directly into the egg 
and so it doesn't have to break through that outer shell of the egg. It doesn't have to work as hard. Oh, and that's okay. like another couple thousand dollars if they do that. Yeah, but you have, do you, with that, you would have a bigger percentage of a bigger percentage uh, success. of fertilized eggs, probably, yeah. Yeah, okay. That sounds yeah. fantastic. Um, okay, so wow, it's it seems really amazing this in vitro, but at a certain point, I would say, logically speaking, I'm Dutch, I think of money, <laughs> it runs out. So does my wife. What, what do you, yeah, the Europeans are practical. Yeah. It runs out, what do you do? Because at the one hand, you're telling me, you know, you seem to have a stable home, a stable relationship, you can offer the child uh, to stay home and have a really nice life with the child, but right. what if you're totally depleted? By right. the time you actually have this child, and then right. then what? Well, and you know that's that's something that you know we're looking at. Do we continue to try? Do we wait? You know, I, I guess my thinking is like I keep I keep saying to myself, I'm 38. I don't have any time. And then I talk to women who are you know 39 and 40. So if I have to take you know three four months off and we put some money away and then start over again, you know that's an option for us. Um. Yeah, it's it's incredibly expensive. Um, I wish that our insurance covered it. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Um, so we have spent. I was trying to figure out this morning before I talked to you. I think in the last last year, I think we spent about thirty five thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! But do you realize, Terry, that for most of your listeners, none yeah. of us can afford this? Yeah, thirty five thousand yeah, is, is a big chunk of money. Yeah. That, like you said, that you apparently need to give up front. And right. most people don't have that kind of savings. But, when, you know, when people talk about, you know, why don't you just adopt, I don't think they realize how expensive adoption is. Um, you know, I could spend, we could spend, you know, twelve to $20,000 trying to adopt, depending on which route we go. Uh, with a private adoption, you know, you can spend way more than that. Okay, I have a question too, and I've I've heard a lot of cons for this one, but I need to ask you for the listener if they're wondering about this option for you. What about a surrogate mother that would have your egg, right, and the sperm donor? Would that be an option? Um, it could be an option. Again, it's very expensive. Um, you know, we would be required to cover the healthcare costs of a surrogate mother until she gave birth. Um. There's also a legal risk that, you know, she, if she carries the baby, I think that if I've read this correctly, she still has a legal right. So, you know, there's that whole issue there. Um, it's very expensive. Everything's very expensive. But um, even very, if the egg is yours? <coughs> yeah, I can't, I don't know the law. I, I really don't okay. know the law. But there's, there have been cases with surrogates, you know, where things have gone haywire. I, I don't profess to be a law expert in any way whatsoever. Okay, but so far the doctors have told you that basically you have all the chances in the world and you're in the right, right. bracket age-wise to do this. We have done every test. We have done, we have, you know, they keep saying there's no reason you can't get pregnant. Um, okay. But, you know, I'm 38. I'm, you know, and when that's not old by any means unless you're trying oh. to get pregnant and then you're considered elderly. <laughs> it's, oh you know, anytime over 35, it's, it's considered your advanced maternal age. 
Yeah, I know. When it's for men, nothing is old, apparently, and yeah. for women, we're over the hill very early. Right. I, I know, that seems totally unfair, but I, you hear an enormous amount of people getting pregnant in vitro under 40 right. still. Right. And, so. you know, your chances with in vitro, you know, increase, you know, depending on your clinic. I, you know, I heard anywhere from, you know, 40 to 75% of getting pregnant. But, you know, it's still, I mean, I don't think that people realize how hard in the, quote, natural way it is to get pregnant. I mean, every time a couple has has sex during the time that a woman is fertile, you only have about a 13 to 20 percent chance of getting pregnant. I mean, everything, all the stars have to align. And yeah. I don't think people realize how difficult it is. You know, the the fact that people get pregnant is amazing to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. True. Now, l- let's just, I, I, I would love, before we go into um, commercial break, ask you one more question. When, okay. let's just say that it's positive and you are pregnant in vitro. Have you thought about the questions that this baby might ask you and Chris? Uh, yeah, you know, we've talked about it. Um, Chris and I are very committed to being as honest as we can, you know, age-appropriate-wise with a child. Um, obviously, I don't think our our baby would think that somehow we were miraculously conceived of this baby together. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, if they grow up knowing that, I know you and I talked about this, I was adopted, yeah. always, I couldn't talk about it, it was a bad word, nobody ever mentioned it. I don't want our child to be embarrassed that, you know, that they were created this way. I would like them to think that, you know, we really wanted to have them, and that's why we worked this hard to do it. Yeah. No, I understand that totally. We're going to go into commercial break, and we'll be right back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? 
Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone. We're back from the commercial with the interesting topic about in vitro conceiving with our guest, Terry Vanya. Terry, what are the chances of multiple births with in vitro? Um, our chances definitely increase with in vitro. A lot of the fertility meds um, increase your chances of multiples. Um, they also usually implant multiple fertilized eggs when you do in vitro. So, yeah, your chances are a little bit greater. Um, I think I was telling you that our, our specific clinic that we use, they, uh, I think it's 35 to 37, will implant two eggs. Um, 38 to 40, I think it is. 38 to 39, they do three eggs. Um, we implanted two, so obviously we had a risk of twins for sure, and then if they split, you know, we get an even bigger risk of more multiples. Yeah. Would you want that, honestly? Would you? Would you um, because I know when, you have a decision to make once, right. once you're at that point. Right. Um, honestly, twins would be great. Um, the concern is I'm 38 years old. Um, you know, twins are a higher risk pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine at one time who was also trying to conceive called me and said, if you have twins, can I have one? And I said, no, but if we have quads, you can have two. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a scary thought, but, you know, at this point we would take what we could get. Um, I know that one of the one of the papers we had to sign was, you know, that if if we had were pregnant with a lot of multiples, that you know we would have to make that decision, you know, whether or not to have all of them or to terminate pregnancies. Um, I don't know that we would know our decision on that until we were faced with it. Of course, I, I understand that. It was just a question because I know that that would be a hard decision to make right. too. Right. And how does Chris feel about your partner about carrying a child too? Um, because obviously you are the one who's who's initiating yeah. right now in this first phase, right? Yeah, I don't know that she has the desire to be pregnant like I do. Um, I think that that's probably something that she would do because we both do want a baby, but I don't think she desires it as much as I do. Yeah, because it, it is, a, again... I want listeners to really understand out there that in vitro, and although I've never gone through it, is a big uh, burden on your body, and you need to be healthy, and you need to really be willing to be sick, right, and to right. have all the reactions, and, right. and you like need I a huge support group. We did our in vitro cycle in um, December, and when we weren't successful, you know, we have a frozen embryo that we can still do, and I said, you know, I just need a break, and I physically need a break from it. Um, I felt terrible. I, you know, I just was run down, and you've got all these extra hormones, and when you find out you're not pregnant, you stop all your meds immediately. Well, that's a big hormone dump for your body, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not comfortable. You know, you feel really terrible. And how long I'm does sure. it take for your body to actually get rid of these hormones? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel like I'm rid of them yet. 
Um, <laughs> okay, that's a real honest answer. Well, I, I don't. I mean, I, I still feel bloated. I'm still having hot flashes and, you know, things like that. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I haven't looked up, you know, what the half-life of these things are. But, you know, it's hard to tell emotion-wise because your emotions are high just because of the experience. So it's hard to tell, you know, if that's it or um, I don't know. Do you feel this break is finally giving your body a little bit of breathing space that that I'm sure your body needs? Yeah, I mean, I I think I definitely needed a break from it. Um, you know, I, I guess it can be seen two ways. You know, a doctor would say, "Why well, take a break? You're you know you're aging uh, <laughs> as we speak." But I think that being in a better mindset and feeling better physically would be more ideal to conceiving than feeling like I have to hurry up and try again because it might be my last chance. Okay, yeah. But I think it's easy advice for the doctor to give when he or she well, doesn't yeah. feel that way, of course. Yeah. And they're only looking at statistics, not at how you feel. But emotionally being fine and balanced and having the support you need is 100% of, the, right. uh, of, of this treatment, right? Right. What advice could you give women, whether they're straight, whether they're gay couples, that want to go through this? What is your insight and what is something that you would advise them absolutely not to do and absolutely to do? Um, I think the best advice I could give is make sure that your relationship is stable and that you're communicating with your partner. Because if we had been in a relationship where you know, one or one of us wasn't on board with it, I don't think we would have made it. Um, it's very stressful. It's very, you know, I needed my wife to know that I wasn't yelling at her because I was mad at her. I was yelling at her <laughs> because the hormones had taken over my brain. Um, you know, it's, it's really, really hard and to try to communicate that, and it's hard to communicate. And I'm a communicator. I talk about everything. Um, but to, I, I, for the first time in my life, I'm unable to explain to my wife what I feel. And she'd say, you know, let's talk about it. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. And knowing our relationship was strong enough for her to be okay with that and just know that, and I knew she was there and she was okay knowing that if I needed something, I could come to her. But it was, I was unable to express what I was feeling. Yeah, I can but understand. Really, That's good advice. I mean, really that for me is probably the biggest one. Um, my what not to do, listen to yeah, anybody else. Yeah, some of the hurdles that, that you feel you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, listen to anybody else or tell anybody else that you're trying to get pregnant. Um, I wish we never would have told anyone because that has been, I think, the worst. The things that people have said and the, you know, well, maybe you're not doing it right or why don't you try this or why don't you do that. or You know, everybody's an expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think the advice was friendly or the advice was more like busybody? I think that, like all advice, it was probably with good intentions, but it doesn't always come across that way. Um, I could have done without it. <laughs> but then you would have had to almost isolate yourself from all the friends, because if you didn't right. tell anyone, people wouldn't understand your mood right. swings or right. why you're sick. Right. Well, luckily, I'm moody most of the time, so they probably wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Terry, that's hilarious. So for all moody women out there, go for it. Right. 
No, it's just, it's a, you know, I think that, you know, there are, we have close friends that we, when we do try again, that we will share it with, but for the most part, we're probably not going to tell people like we have before. Um, Chris said to me, you know, you can tell one person, so I tell one person and that's it. Because it is frustrating, you know, and people take it on and make it about themselves and why didn't you call me and why didn't you tell me? Well, because it's not about you. You know, it has nothing to do with you. No. Um, you know, we've had people tell us that when we have a baby, we have to do this and we have to do this. And if we don't do this, they're going to do something. And, you know, it's just, it's just a frustrating. And like I said, I'm sure it comes with good intentions, but it doesn't always come across that way. And do you have to go to the hospital for these um, treatments by yourself or is Chris able to come with you or do you no, get the Chris, support? Chris has a, a great job and a great boss who um, makes it very convenient for her to be with me when we have the big, you know, like the retrieval and the transfer and things like that. Um, you know, like ultrasounds and blood work, she doesn't need to be there for those. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's just so a you routine. Do that part of the process. But for the, the big stuff, yeah, absolutely, she's there. Okay. And would you recommend that women that do this actually take the time to stay at home? and Or do you think it makes no, no difference? possible. I mean, I had worked, and I stopped working because we were going to try to get pregnant, and I thought, okay, we'll be pregnant in a few months, and then I'll stay home with the baby, and it's not a big deal. Little did I know, almost two years later, we would still be doing this. Um, you know, it's not financially feasible for a lot of people to stay home. Um, I picked up a part-time job by, you know, doing things like that, but it's, it, it's, it's not feasible, I think, to stay home, but I don't know how you would do it with a full-time job because I was at the doctor's office, like, every other day. Yeah. No, I can imagine how hard it is. That's why I'm asking this question because women that work and that have to work, right. we would like to go through the process, too. Right. You know, and I think, you know, if you want this bad enough, you'll make it work. Yeah, and, and I think that, yeah. you know, I will say that the women that I've met going through this are the most committed group of women I've ever met in my life. Yeah, I think you have to be because there's so much writing on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Terry, I thank you for bringing the sensitive subject because a lot of people would not want to talk about the emotional roller coaster and all the details, but... Again, for the listeners out there that listen to you, don't forget that Terry has a nursing background and is more familiar than the average person with the medical side. So my advice to women out there is get informed, find someone that can really explain this process to you so that you know head on what you're going in for and then decide right. if this is for you or not for you. And, and there are um, like lots said, of books. There, there are lots of books. There are lots of great resources online. Um, you know, they're out there. You just have to look for them. Is there any of the resources that you recommend, Terry? Um, there is. You know, I wish I would have written down some of these books. Um, you know, Amazon has a great group of books available. Um, one of the best resources. Thanks I've again for listening to um, the California Cryobank, which we used, has a group on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, for women who are using their services, um, it's a private group so that, you know, nobody sees what's going on in there. But it, it's been one of the best resources as far as talking to other women who are going through the same thing. Um, okay. I, I have a question for you. If you email it to me, any of the links that you want, then we'll make sure it's on my Facebook or okay. with the Mind Radio so that okay. women 
when they listen to it, have the resource right there that you recommend? Right. How does that sound? Yeah, I mean, it's been the best resource I found personally because there wasn't a lot of information I could find online about, you know, lesbian couples trying to conceive. You just have to look. I mean, it kind of, I kind of fell into it, but um, I think most of the cryobanks, you know, most everybody's online now, so they have a, you know, they're visible and they have these groups available. Thank you so much, Terry, and uh, I will link it to you, um, this this segment, so that you can give it to any of the friends so that they can download it and listen to it at their own convenience. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, and stay. Um, we're going to close for today, and next week we'll be back with Mind Radio. Thank you for listening. Thank you again for joining us this week. Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray can be heard every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week, and until our next show, think of a random act of kindness that you can perform.